we're going to jump on the next one. Um, okay. Tonight or tomorrow morning, I'm going to play some um, uh, hot points for your test on Monday with some questions, okay, for you to practice. Please, you need to study, okay? You need to read the book. Go on the learning objectives, okay? Don't go to the left, to the right, to the north or south. Just go to the learning objectives, okay? And you're going to do perfect because I'm not going to prepare another question for you, okay? And believe me, it's going to be critical thing. Okay, so uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, you have a good book, you have a good guidance in the PowerPoints, just um, uh, you're going to have the key points, just go on that. Okay, are you good? Okay, I have a, I have a, a petition, guys, a petition, because. Uh, if we catch up from the very beginning, everything in PD, this is not about anatomy, that is a science that helps us to understand PD, we're going to do very well. And my suggestion is come to the lab prepared. It's not because I write this down on the email, you read it and that's it. Come to the lab prepare is, I mean, I don't need to explain this because, uh, uh, for example, this uh, um, skill log from yesterday was, I mean, thoroughly explained or all the single steps you need to, to do. And um, uh, yes, is the one I sent you by email. What is, uh, um, oh. Oh, it's the one I sent you by email, the same one, the same one. So, guys, uh, please go to the book. Read the book. Don't change anything. You don't need to change anything because you're going to lose your points. Follow directions. Your learning is the good opportunity for you to prepare you before the lab. In this way, the flow of the lab is going to be much better. And we can, you know, interact even more. And talk about variation if you want. But we need to learn what we need to learn. Understand what I'm saying here? Uh, for example, next lab is going to be the thorax and lungs. Okay? I know you have the exam on Monday, but it's not too much. Come on. So I'm going to place all of these during the weekend, and you have a stethoscope at home. Cut the nails, because Tuesday you will need to use your fingers for percussion, palpation, and the rest. And go over this. Go over the skill log. Everything is going to be explained there. Okay? So the best way, the best way 
to win a good place in physical diagnosis is practicing. The lab is open for you every day of the week, except the weekend, okay? From Monday to Friday. It is true, Thursday they have a, a surgical lab. In a while, they're gonna start with the suturing workshop, but I mean, they don't have this until uh, they started at p 1 p.m. or something like this on Friday. So uh, you have this opportunity to go over, practice. You want to practice with your classmate? We have the exam rooms in the third floor. Talk to Dr. Correa or talk to me. I can go and open this for you. Okay, you have all the possibilities, use it. Okay, you're gonna practice in the lab. And you know I'm here, I'm not here on Friday, for example, but I'm answering your emails and so, even if it's a weekend. Okay? Anyways, find me in the office. You have a question, you have a, a concern, find me in my office, send me a text, you have my phone number, okay? I'm here for you guys. So uh, the last lecture, we, uh, we were talking about the cranial foci, and we talked about the three of them, and we stopped in the, and let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this because, for example, uh, posterior cranial fossa, we need to be aware and don't forget that part. All the bones of the skull, okay, of the cranium, are lining by dura mater. This external, or you can say, the outermost layer of meninges, right? The outermost layer of meninges, that is, just possess uh, two layers. I don't know, it has two layers too. We are not gonna go over these. But the dura mater double layer is very important for us. When I'm telling you it's very important is because it is. So dura mater is lining every single place of this school, right? And of course, in the posterior cranial fossa, Okay, this needs to call your attention because we have a lot of accidents. In anatomy, accidents is not crash against a pole. Accidents are fossa, depression, foramen, a hole, okay? We have as well like a, a canal that is a, a bony or maybe, maybe a muscular canal with you know how many uh, walls a canal has, okay? Four walls maybe, or eight walls, it depends the shape of this canal. And this canal is gonna permit the pass of a structure or the transmission of a structure. We have fissures as well. What a fissure is, is a solution of the continuity of the bond that permit the transmission of structures as well, like the orbital fissure, 
What do we have passing through this? The optic nerve, okay? Optic arteries, okay? So motor cranial nerve. So have this in mind. So um, in the posterior cranial, cranial fossa, we need to know that it's formed by the clivus. Let me go back. This is the clivus, right? And then we're going to have the posterior part of the petrous bone. Petrous bone is a portion of the temporal bone. It's the thickest bone of the body, right? We talk about this. The house, what? The inner ear, right? Essentially. So we have a jugular foramen. You see this jugular foramen? Jugular foramen, what is this? A jugular foramen permits the arising of the jugular vein. Jugular veins came out from the, which one? Sigmoid sinus, remember? Sigmoid sinus that goes together to make the jugular vein, okay? from the top to the bottom. Remember veins are blood vessels that transport the blood towards the heart. Yes or no? So, what happened to the veins that we talked about this in the last lecture? To the veins in the head, we don't have any valves. Okay? It's a very thin structure, very thin structure. No valves. That's why this position of, of upside down is terrible. You don't have any possibilities to get rid of the accumulation of the venous blood in their different venous sinuses of the head. Okay? It's a terrible death. So, uh, this is the passing through for the uvular vein, okay? So if we continue, we see this big, huge accident that is the foramen magnum. What do we have over there passing through? The medulla oblongata that continues in the spinal cord, right? Continues in the spinal cord. And we have the occipital bone. We have the occipital bone. So, uh, in the posterior cranial fossa, as well, we have the hypoglossal canal. Hypoglossal canal permit the pass of the hypoglossal nerve. That is the cranial nerve number 12. Then, you can think by yourself, if we have a tumor of the hypoglossal origin, the nucleus of the hypoglossal nerve, that is located in the brainstem, we can say that we have a tumor in the posterior fossa. And if this is compressed, what is going to happen? Guys, you know this. Uh, the movement of the tongue is going to be compromised. But my question is, if I have a tumor of the side of the hypoglossal, the right hypoglossal origin, the tongue is going to get deviated to what? Beautiful. 
están en talla. Ok, good. For a man, this is a kind of Okay. The mastoid foramen. Mastoid foramen. We have emissary vein. What an emissary vein is, is the one that runs toward the diploid. Remember the diploid vein and the emissary vein? And they go and communicate with external structure. And I want you to after you pass the test, I want you to look for the danger zone in the face and the danger zone of the scalp. Okay? You're going to find out how infections are going to be uh, terrible, compromising the meninges and so. Okay? Internal acoustic or the auditory meatus. Okay? We have what? The transmission of the cranial nerve number seven. And the transmission of the vestibulocochlear nerve. And we know that the facial nerve is the soul, is the unique nerve that innervates the muscle of the facial expression, the unique one. There's not another, this, this is the facial, the number seven only. So, what is the clinical importance of knowing that? If we have a palsy of the cranial nerve number seven, what is gonna happen? Huh? Drop of the face? Uh, facial palsy, there is a name, Bell's palsy, but not necessarily it needs to be only Bell palsy. So more than compromising situations with the facial nerve numbers, of, uh, with the facial nerve can give you uh, uh, paralysis of the muscle of the face, okay? So Bell's palsy is one of those what is the origin is viral. But anyways, it's a clinical importance of this. Where this happens depends. Okay, but normally it's in the ganglion. It's in the arising of the facial nerve. Um, what else we have in the posterior fossa? We have the cerebellum, okay? And we have the pons. And we have the medulla oblongata leaving, you know, uh, continuing with the spinal cord. Oh, Professor, midbrain is part of what? Of the brainstem, part of the middle cranial fossa. Okay? Middle cranial fossa. It just separates the structure in this way. So we were talking about tinnitus. Who, who asked me about tinnitus the other day? I remember that. Remember we talk about the vascular origin of tinnitus? Here we have the labyrinthine artery. Labyrinthine artery passing through the internal acoustic meatus. So it's, it's one 
of this structure to be blamed for that. Anyways, um, you have a chart already here. This is very important for us, guys. Okay? Just to know is, is a, it's a question of exercise, make a mental, okay? Mental exercising because anatomy is too much memory. Okay? A lot of memory. What is what? Where is this? And it's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. Okay? So uh, just have a look of the bone from where in, in which we have the, the different foramen or opening and what is the structure that is going to leave this area. And it's warming up for your neuro. Warming up. I don't want you to forget about this. Okay? So, um, a cranial base uh, fracture. Yes, cranial base fracture. One of the features when you see a person that I didn't place any, um, um, you know, cartoons or photos over there are the bottle sign. You know what I'm talking about? Bottle sign? Bottle sign is a bruise on the mastoid process after a fracture of the base of the cranium. Raccoon eyes as well because this blood is going to pass by to the soft tissue in the orbital area, in the skin of the face. Okay, raccoon eyes. And we're going to have as well, in some cases, when we have a disruption of the structure, the dura mater, we're going to have leakage as well. Leakage of cerebrospinal fluid. If that moidal bone is fractured, what is going to happen? Rhinorrhea. Rhea. Every time you see these, okay, this means river or flow. Rhinorrhea. Oh my God. Okay. Every time you see this, this means flow. Abnormal flow. Leucorrhea, abnormal, okay, it's abnormal. So, rhinorrhea or rhinorrhea of cerebrospinal fluid, we're going to lose cerebrospinal fluid, otorrhea because it's through the ear, make sense? Okay, so this is what it is going to happen. Um, remember that we need to have the perforation of both layers of the dura mater. And this fact is very important because we need to have in mind that we have the bone over here. I don't have another color that is good. I think I have green that I brought. Let's see that is working maybe. Okay. So, no, it's not working. Anyway, guys, uh, remember this is the bone. 
The green is the periosteal layer of the dura mater, okay? And this is the meningeal layer of dura mater, and here we have the arachnoids, right? And we know this is a subdural space, and we know that arachnoids is the queen in where the cerebrospinal fluid is going to flow, and it's going to be filtered, and it's going to be, uh, uh, I mean, uh, circulating and so by the arachnoids granulation and absorb by gra granulo, um, arachnoid granulation and as well the arachnoid granulation I'm going to send this cerebrospinal fluid to the venous, to the sinuses in order to uh, uh, be, you know, absorbed. So needs to be the rupture or the two layers of dura mater. Make sense? Then if you break these two, in the ba cranial base, the cerebrospinal fluid is going to go out. Make sense? Huh? Okay. So, um, meninges, we talk about meninges, right? Uh, we explain uh, everything about the meninges, and uh, we talk about the different, different partitions of dura mater, and they are very important. Let me uh, go over. Okay, we have the the fac cerebri that is uh, this one we have here. Okay, fac cerebri. Okay. Uh, we have the tentorium cerebelli, tentorium cerebelli, and we have the, as well, this, this diaphragm cilai that is covering the hypothesis superiorly, separating the hypothesis from the optic chiasma, okay? Even though you have a growing in the hypothesis, this growing in the hypothesis cannot go down. Why not? Because the hypothesis in the hypofacial um, fossa that is located in the cella tulsica of the sphenoid bone, then it's surrounded by bone by the cavernous sinus, okay? So cannot grow downward needs to grow upward, okay, when you have a tumor. And what is the next structure that is going to compress? The optic chiasma, okay? So this is more of the arteries. It's very important to us, remember that the middle meningeal artery is the one involved when we have an epidural hematoma. And the bridging veins, the bridging veins are the one involved when we have a subdural hematoma. Okay? So uh, here we have uh, an epidural and we have a subdural. 
When we have a hemorrhage in, in the arachnoid, we, we call this subarachnoid hemorrhage. And this happens mainly because we are having somebody suffering from this. Let me, oh, it's in the, in the vascular. But suffering from, we talk about aneurysm. Remember? Aneurysm. Okay? Uh, subdural hematoma. This is the way I promised you this you have in here. What is the difference when you have a CT scan? What is the difference between one and the other? It's, it's very nice to know this now. Beautiful. You have in the epidural hematoma, it's a lengthy form. It's a convex shape. And we have... The, what is the blood vessels involved? The blood vessel involved is the middle meningeal artery. In the case of subdural hematoma, the shape in a CT is a concave shape. And what we happen, what happened here, a damage of the bridging, bridging veins, veins of the arachnoid, okay, of the uh, dura mater, sorry. Okay, so uh, of course, if if you move the brain here and there, what is going to happen inside? The intracranial pressure is going to increase. Okay, uh, this is the cella torsica and the hypothesis surrounded by the cavernous sinuses. Sinus. Okay, the the arising of the internal carotid artery here. Okay, uh, they cut, they cut the optic chiasma to permit us to see all the structure. And here we have the sphenoidal sinuses. You see this tiny fine deployed bone here? A terrible infection in the sphenoidal sinuses can give us a big problem over here in this uh, Avernus sinus, okay? This is the superior orbital fissure here. And I want you to understand what are the structure that we have arising from the superior orbital fissure. We have the cranial nerve number three, the cranial nerve number four, and we have the arising of the division, the first division of what? Of trigeminal nerve, the ophthalmic branch of the trigeminal nerve, okay? So if, let's say we have a fracture that compromised this area, what is gonna happen? Compressing all of these cranial nerves, what do you think is gonna happen? Huh? Palsy, you cannot move the eye, right? You cannot move the eye. Make sense? And what about that place where this uh, division, the V1 innervates the face? Can you, can you rise the eyebrow? Can you close the eye? Maybe because the facial is not there. But can you rise 
the, uh, the eyebrow may be a little bit, but not totally, okay? Remember that uh, we have divisions of the trigeminal nerve that are motor, motor, and sensory. And we use the same V1, V2, and V3 the, for the motor division of the trigeminal nerve as well. Okay, here we have the arising of the cranial nerve, um, uh, the second division, the maxillar, and here we have the arising of the um, mandibular division, okay? And the pituitary gland is close, close, close here. Internal carotid artery. Look at this. All of this is very close. Huh? So, uh, talk about this in the other lecture. Let's talk about the brain now very quickly. And we know gyri, gyri and sulci. Gyri and sulci. Okay? So, what are those? Uh, we know that the brain is going to be divided in, in the CD room, the last part developed, and the one that we use to do everything, right? With the help of the, the basal, the cranial, I mean, uh, the, the basal nuclei. And uh, diencephalon, diencephalon that is composed by the by the epithalamus, thalamus, and hypothalamus. And they are uh, accomplishing a very important function in the neuroendocrine system, right? And they rely of the information, they rely of the sensory information to the pro, to the, sorry, <laughs> posterior part of the Central sulcus, what is that? The postcentral gyrus at the level of the parietal lobes, where we're going to find what? Parietal lobes. Primary sensory cortex, right? And what about the precentral gyrus, guys? You hate the brain. Come on, precentral gyrus. Primary motor cortex, thank you very much, yes. So, uh, this is very important. Everything related to motor, let's go to the basal nuclei involved in the secretion of the neurotransmitters and we're gonna blame the cerebellum too, yes because he's the guy that is going to permit the relay of the sensory information and go out of the motor orders for our body. Huh? We're going to blame them. We're going to blame who else? Who else? Who know that? The hypothalamus. And the thalamus mainly. The thalamus, we're going to blame the thalamus as well. Okay? We're going to blame the reticular activating system that connects everything and permit the arousing, permit the conscience, I mean the conscious, the conscious individual 
is awake, alert, and responsive because this activated reticular system is working. So the brainstem, the brainstem is composed by the midbrain, the pons and the medulla oblongata, and the cerebellum. Okay, so one of the functions here for all of these uh, components of the brain. Let me go a little bit on, on this. And remember, we have over here the central sulcus, postcentral gyrus, postcentral gyrus, that is the sensory primary area, precentral gyrus, that is the motor primary area. Okay, deep back in the frontal lobe, we have an area that permits us to say the word properly. What is this area? Um, where Nick is to understand the words properly. Broca is the motor speech. Because the sensory speech is what? Where Nick is, and where Nick is is where? In the temporal. Okay? So we have the temporal lobe over here. Everything related to sensory, we're going to talk about the parietal lobe, the postcentral gyrus. Okay? Here we have the lateral sulcus. And we have more sulcus, the calcarine sulcus in the occipital part of the, the brain and so, but uh, let's go with these two. Okay? Then this is the pons the, and the medulla oblongata and continue, the medulla oblongata continue with the spinal cord. The cerebellum, we have here the corpus callosum. This structure connects or interconnects, right? The right and the left cerebrum, right and left cerebrum. In this way, we know this part, the right part of the brain knows what the left part is doing. Okay, so we have uh, over here the thalamus, and as well we have the third ventricle. We have the hypothalamus. This is the pituitary gland again, and here we have the brainstem. This is the cerebellum or arbor vitae, also known as arbor vitae, and we know that in the brain we have the distribution of brain matter is what. What is the, how is the distribution of the gray matter and the white matter at the level of the brain? Anatomy 101, prerequisites, medicine school, dentist school, whatever school, biology 101. I'm good, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, this is so cute one. Okay, remember, in the brain, we have what? The brain matter? Peripherally. And in the basal nuclei. In the basal nuclei. And in the spinal cord, 
the other way around. Okay? The other way around. We have the white matter and the gray matter is going to be enclosed by the white matter. In the gray matter, we have what type of cells? Always. Neurons. Neurons. That's why when, when, when they ask you, use your gray matter, they're asking you to use your neurons. Okay? Neurons. They are the main cells of the nervous system. And then we have the glial cells. The white matter is made up of what, guys? Axons, axons, and axons in one degree or other and sometimes don't are surrounded by myelin sheets. Okay, these are uh, uh, layers that protect the axon and permit the saltatory effect faster. If you have less myelin, you transmit the impulses, but slower. And we have several types of fibers, too. Okay, when we talk about fibers, we're talking about nervous fibers, we're talking about what? Axons. Okay, the white matter is composed by axons. Gray matter composed by neurons. And then we have the glial cells, okay? So, um, remember the central sulcus separates the frontal and parietal lobes in the coronal plane. In the coronal plane, first lecture of anatomy, okay? The lateral sulcus separates the frontal and parietal lobes from the temporal lobe. From the temporal lobe. This is a lateral sulcus. Okay? Let's talk about a little bit of the function. Prefrontal area, your goals, how you want to be a physician associate, how badly you want to be that? Okay, short memory. At the end of the class, if you have a quiz, you're gonna be able to reproduce what you're paying attention to. Okay, elaboration of thought. And of course, we're gonna inhibit the most dark desires that are gonna be generated in the limbic system. Limbic system that is composed by a lot of a structure, okay? Pre-motor area, we're gonna program what? Motor movement, right? The frontal eye feels controlling the eye movement, of course. Controlling the eye movement is the passing through of the third, the fourth, and the sixth, right? Precentral gyrus, we know this. We're gonna, uh, we have the homunculus. You know what the homunculus is? It's the projection of the motor and the sensory area in the 
pariah that lives in the pole central gyri, uh, gyrus as well, okay, of the thumb, the feet, the face, the hand, this important part of us, okay? In the parietal, we have the sensory association area. We're gonna have storage, analysis, and do the interpretation of a stimuli. In the frontal lobe, or with the frontal lobe, we're gonna, you know, uh, do the calculations, the math, mathematics problem, and so. We're gonna be judgmental to other human beings, something that is very attached to, you know, mankind. Occipital lobe is the primary visual cortex. For example, somebody that goes to the floor and hit the head in the back, they're gonna complain of what? Blur vision. Yes? Blur vision. Okay? So, uh, temporal lobe, we have the primary auditory cortex and auditory association area. What this mean? Association area. You are listening a melody and you know what is that, right? You're able to associate what you're listening to, okay? So temporal lobe, we have, of course, parietal lobe, and you want, if you want, please add here, parietal lobe deep in the back, we have the Broca's area, motor speech, and in the temporal lobe, we have the sensory speech area that is also known as a Wernicke's area, okay? Broca's and Wernicke's, they say, okay, the masters in this thing said that they are in your hemisphere that is the dominant one. But, interesting, sometimes they found in left-handed individuals, they have the word Nikis and Brothers on the uh, left as well, the left um, hemisphere. So, you know, anyways, the insula is in between, and when you go to a mall, you're gonna have the opportunity to visualize the insula. So, uh, in the temporal, we have the sense of smell as well. Uh, we are uh, you know, analyze the sense of smell, and it's interesting because the sense of smell is attached to the sense of taste. If you lost your, you know, sense of smell, what happened is that you're not going to be able to determine the tastes because they run together. So corpus callosum, remember that, keep all of this together, the two hemispheres. Uh, this is a primary motor cortex with the distribution of the homunculus. As you see, look at the tongue, it's huge, right? It's huge because not other, I mean, we are the only animals that speak, we think, okay? The pharynx with the phonation um, mechanism and so, the thumb and the possibility to do this, the opposition of the thumb, 
that is unique of humans. Opposition of the thumb. Apes, they grab things like this. They don't use the opposition. They don't do the opposition of the thumb. They don't have this possibility over here in the motor cortex, okay? So we have the hand. The hand is the best instrument of finding a job together with your brain, okay? And here we have the primary sensor, sensory cortex. Again, the lips, the tongue, the thumb, the hands, you know, the jaw, the way uh, uh, we innervate the viscera and so collect the sensory information from the skin, from the viscera, everything. Diencephalon, all of them. The midbrain is the rostral part of the, of the brainstem and lies, you know, between the middle and posterior cranial fossa. Okay, we, we can talk about the clivus over there a little bit up north. Going to, going to Brower around, okay? So, we have the arising of cranial nerve number three and four, okay? In the pons, we have the arising of the cranial nerve number five, that is the, the bigger one, okay? From the medulla, we have the nine, the 10, the vagus, and the 12, okay? Cranial nerve number six and eight, they go, they arise from the junction of the pons and medulla. 10 minutes, please. Thank you. Sorry, sorry guys. Attached to the anterior, inferior part of the frontal lobes is the, I mean, 
you'll see them very, um, uh, they show themselves uh, in front of your eyes like this, when you have a piece in the hand, okay? So, um, optic chiasma, you see how close, how the relationship with the pituitary gland is. The colicules, okay, and this is the infundibulum of the, the infundibulum of the hypophysiary or pituitary gland, infundibulum that connects the pituitary gland with the hypothalamus, okay, the infundibulum. From where we can see the absence of the hypothalamic uh, neurons going into the posterior hypo hypothesis, also known as a No way, guys. Neurohypothesis. Adenohypothesis, because I produce, and I have this beautiful epithelial tissue producing hormones, right? Do you remember this uh, second lecture? Okay, it's an endocrine gland. But the posterior pituitary gland is also known as a neurohypothesis. It's just an storage. Just an storage. What for? Antidiuretic hormone. And who else? Yes. Oxytocin. You know that when we hug each other, we secrete oxytocin, guys? Together with serotonin, we're going to be happy. You know? This is interesting. Okay, so we continue over, over here and we see the arising of the trochlear nerve. Trochlear, and this is part of the pons, right? Pons. Over here, you see how thick is the trigeminal nerve? Over here we have cranial nerve, the arising of the cranial nerve number five. And then we have the glossopharyngeal. And then we have the vagus. Then we have the cranial nerve number 11. And we have the hypoglossal around. The seven, the facial nerve, facial nerve is a very interesting one. And another curiosity, because I don't remember who asked me, the only nerve that crosses by is the six or the four, one of, one of these two. But the rest, they are, they are going straight ahead to the structures. They innervate. Okay? So um, now you know. Because... If you go with the cranial nerve, you're going to see that you have a table that match from where they go, okay, from where they arise, and what is the origin, okay? Ventricular system of brain, what is this? In the brain, we have ventricle. In this ventricle, there are spaces filled with cerebrospinal fluid. 
in the city, in these ventricles of the roof of the ventricle, mainly you can say uh, in the lateral ventricle, we have a choroid plexus. And who remember the cells we have there? It's part of the glial cells. Ependymal cells. So, ependymal cells. If we talk about an ependymoma, this is a tumor that grows up from ependymal cells. Where in the brain you're going to find an ependymoma? In the ventricles. Make sense? Okay? So the ependymal cells are going to secrete with the help of some other structure, cerebrospinal fluid. Okay? The cerebrospinal fluid. Then we have an interventricular hole that communicates the two ventricular, the two lateral ventricles. Okay? As well, we have the third ventricle. Third ventricle. And we have afterward the fourth ventricle over here this is a confluence of sinuses and all of these that you see around okay all of these are arachnoid granulation arachnoid granulation i know your book says that uh, they are researching they are investigating the function a little bit more and so and so, but arachnoid granulations are involved in the reabsorption of the cerebrospinal fluid. Ependymal cells on top of secrete cerebrospinal cells, uh, cerebrospinal fluid, is cleaning as well the cerebrospinal fluid. So, if we suffer from meningoencephalitis, what is happening is that maybe these holes result in flame. And what happens if this hole that permit the free circulation of cerebrospinal fluid, that is one of the, the cushion, the brain in the cranial vault, uh, is stuck or stopped from the normal circulation, what is going to happen? Increased intracranial pressure because we are not permitting the normal circulation of the cerebrospinal fluid. And then we need to do something. Okay? Sorry? Okay, we need to place a device that is going to derivate the extra amount of this cerebrospinal fluid into another place in where we can reabsorb. In that case, is a catheter in the ventricular system that is going to be tunnelized under the skin and going to a pleural space or going to the peritoneal space in where we're going to reabsorb this. Okay? This is in the case of an adult or a child that result damage after an infection of the central nervous system. But some people born in this way. You need to do the same. Okay? You need to derivate this amount of cerebrospinal fluid over there. 
and some other things like the pseudotumor cerebri. In this case, we don't know why they have too much cerebrospinal fluid. You need to place a shunt as well, okay? A catheter to get rid of the extra amount of this. How is this circulation happens? Starting the lateral ventricles, right? Then it's gonna go to interventricular foramen. And this foramen is also known as a Monroe, foramen of Monroe, okay? From, the, from these uh, lateral ventricles, the cerebrospinal fluid is gonna go to the third ventricle. And then it's gonna pass to the cerebral aqueduct. And it's good to know because uh, this has a name as well, that is Silvius. From there, from the cerebral aqueduct, we're gonna go to the, go away to the fourth ventricle, to the fourth ventricle. And this hole that we have um, in the fourth ventricle from one side and the other, is known as a foramen of Lushka. These two foramina, okay, the Monroe, um, no, mainly the Lushka and Magendi foramina, uh, foramen, these two, they are the most likely to be stuck in a case of, uh, you know, after infection or trauma of the brain, okay? So, from the, from the four ventricle, we're gonna continue across a uh, lot of apertures to the foramen of Lushka, right? And then we go across the foramen of Magendi to the subarachnoid space. Subarachnoid space, where we have one? The arachnoid granulation. This arachnoid granulation here. Let me show you. Arachnoid granulation, you see? And of course, in this place, the cerebrospinal fluid is gonna go and be uh, absorbed. From the fourth ventricle, okay? From the fourth ventricle, remember, we need to bath as well the spinal cord, okay? From the fourth ventricle, we're gonna continue down to the central canal of the spinal cord. And where the cerebrospinal fluid is gonna be found in the, in the spinal cord, guys. Who tell me? Subdural, right? Subdural. In the arachnoid space, it's the same, okay? That's why to provide a person with spinal anesthesia, we need to cross by the dura mater and mix the medication with the cerebrospinal fluid, okay? Remember the meninges go and protect the whole central nervous system. And central nervous system is composed by the brain and the spinal cord, okay? The peripheral nervous system is composed by peripheral, the spinal nerve and the peripheral and the, and the cranial nerve, guys. 
You know these, right? Do you know these? Oh, okay. So we count on you knowing things because you took anatomy several times and so, okay? That's why we don't go detail. Uh, just remember this, this fact that we have the endosteal layer, the meningeal layer, we have the subarachnoid space, we have the cerebrospinal fluid over here, um, we have the diploid vein, we have some um, uh, veins that connect uh, this circulation with the galea aponeurotica, okay? And those are the ventricle, again, okay? Interventricular foramina here, this is the third ventricle here, the city aqueduct, and this is the fourth ventricle with the lateral aperture of the fourth ventricle. In the lateral uh, ventricle, we have several fissures. We have anterior horn, like this, anterior horn of the lateral ventricle. We have the body and we have the posterior horn of the lateral ventricle, okay? Interventricular foramina, uh, foramen, I mean foramina, because there are two, right? So we have the third ventricle over here, and then we're gonna, this is the inferior horn of the lateral ventricle, and we have the, um, the Sidira aqueduct, and we go to the, of course, the fourth ventricle, and we continue downward to the central canal of the spinal cord. Hydrocephalus is, is this situation. We have, uh, in the case of a neonate, what happened is the cranial vault is no suture yet, okay? So the bones can separate and the head can expand, right? Because this amount of cerebrospinal fluid is enlarged. But when we are adults, the cranial vault is sealed. That, that's why it's a vault, okay? So increase the intracranial pressure and we need to derivate this. I'm not telling you that you cannot have a hydrocephalus, of course, attention hydrocephalus, okay? So vasculature of the brain, we have anterior and posterior. Anterior and posterior um, arterial circulation of the brain, okay? What are the most important one, the one you see in bold letter? Oh, talking about the olfactory nerve, Look at this, okay? And we see the arising of all the cranial nerves from here. And we know that this is uh, also known as a circle of wheelies, right? And the brain, anterior brain circulation, starting at internal carotid artery, right and left. And this internal carotid artery is having several portions because it's passing through different structure, okay? Along the way to, to make the, the anterior circulation of the brain. So, from this internal carotid artery, we have the arising of the anterior communicating artery, 
And then we have the anterior cerebral artery, anterior communicating artery, and, and anterior cerebral artery. Anterior communicating artery are leading to anterior cerebral artery. And around here, we have a division, different division of these arteries. We are not going to go over this now, okay? So, let's go to the posterior communicating arteries, these two. Posterior communicating arteries. We have as well a rising straight ahead from the internal carotid artery. A middle cerebral artery that is so important for us. Okay, very important middle cerebral artery because it's going to irrigate a big area of the brain. Then, the posterior communicating artery, okay, that is gonna give origin, or is gonna go together and uh, we're gonna talk about this in a while for continue. Now, if we talk about the posterior circulation, we have the vertebral arteries, these two, the legs of Mr. Will, Willis, this one, okay? These vertebral arteries are arising from the subclavian artery. And the subclavian arteries are arising from Oy, oy, oy. The aorta artery. Okay? Aorta? Yes? Huh? Okay? The right subclavian artery arise from? The right subclavian artery arise from? Brachiocephalic trunk. Very good. And the left Subclavian artery, straight ahead from the aortic arch. Okay, then the first two, the first vessel, the first arteries that arise, that the, first two, the first two arteries that arise immediately from the root of the aorta artery are, who tell me? Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, yeah. Yes, the coronary arteries. Why? Yeah, of course. You need to distribute first the blood for you and then the rest of the body. And this is hard. Very, very selfish, of course. Okay? Right and left coronary arteries. Then we go and we arrive into the aortic arch. The first arising from the aortic arch is the brachiocephalic, the brachiocephalic trunk that gives origin to subclavian, right subclavian artery and the right common carotid artery. Then from this right common carotid artery, we have the arising of the external carotid artery and the internal carotid artery. This, this lady over there. Okay? 
So um, these are vertebral arteries. Vertebral arteries gives origin to what? Basilar artery. And from the basilar artery, we have the arising of cerebellar arteries. And you see how pica, uh, posterior inferior cerebellar artery is so important in determining if your vertigo is central or is peripheral. Mm. And the arising of all of these nerves. Then if we have a compromise, and I want you to see these guys. Look at me. Let me, uh, uh, let me uh, put this. You see the, the, the um, um, let me see, wait, 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 okay. You see the trigeminal nerve here, right? Trigeminal nerve here. One of these arteries sometimes just a loop of this cerebellar artery, okay? Go over the, the cranial nerve number five and compress the cranial nerve number five. And you need to go and open a hole and take away this situation because if not, this person is going to suffer constantly from something that you know as a trigeminal neuralgia. Because this blood vessel is compressing, compressing, compressing over there. And you cannot live your life. Okay? Are we good? Hmm? This is one of the causes of the trigeminal neuralgia. So, what is the origin of these arteries? And what is the distribution, the area these uh, arteries are going to take care of? Okay? So beautiful. Everything is there. I don't need to read this for you. Okay? Posterior. Now, this is very good because it's, you know, look at this. From, from the, very, uh, the very beginning over here, right? But look at this. Now you have divided the anterior circulation from the posterior circulation. Posterior cerebral, remember the, uh, the posterior communicating arteries? Posterior communicating arteries are giving origin to the posterior cerebral artery. And the posterior cerebral artery from the Willis circle back is the first artery of the posterior circulation of the brain. Okay? with its divisions. All of these arteries, they have division and subdivisions. Okay? And then you see the superior cerebellar artery. We have a superior cerebellar artery. And this is the one that is going to be involved in the, you know, compression of the cranial nerve number five. Then we continue over here. And this is the basilar artery that arises from the vertebral arteries. Okay? Anterior inferior cerebellar, uh, cerebellar artery here. The rest of the pontine arteries. Okay? And then we have, of course, anterior spinal artery and so on. But I want you to focus in which one? 
okay, is a part of the anterior cerebral circulation and which one is part of the posterior circulation of the brain. What are those, these two, these two divisions? And this is very important for you to understand, okay? Because anything that happens in the back, in the brainstem, in the um, inferior part of the brain, and so, you know, has to do a lot with the cranial nerves, right? And for example, if one of these arteries, the anterior circulation artery, look at this. Let, I, I need to take my time with these guys. It's important, okay? If one of these um, anterior cerebral or the middle cerebral arteries, okay, or the anterior cerebral artery is, you know, uh, irrigating an area in where we have Wernicke and Broca and so, you know, we, we can have on a stroke or a transient ischemic attack that is going to pass the first time, and a stroke, and our language is going to be compromised. But this way, in this way, we're going to suffer from what? Dysphagia or aphasia, okay, that could be motor or sensory. Dysphagia, right? Oh, but you know what? If something happened in the brainstem with this basilar artery, okay, that is sending the fresh blood where the glossopharyngeal nerve is, we are not going to have this kind of alteration. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think, what do you think is going to happen if the glossopharyngeal nerve got involved in this ischemic situation? You know what ischemia is, right? Okay. Who tell me? What is the function of the, uh, sorry, yeah, um, hypoglossal, sorry, hypoglossal nerve is? What is the function? All the intrinsic and extrinsic muscles of the? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you're going to have problem with the, uh, make the bolus in your mouth, yeah? Uh, but respect to the speech. Slurred speech. What is the medical terminology for that? Disartria. Disartria. Disartria is not dysphagia. Okay? Disartria, because you cannot move the tongue adequately to say the words, to put consonants together with the vowels and so. Disartria. Okay? So, uh, those are the region, the cerebral, anterior cerebral artery is taken care of. Remember the surface, the cerebrum, 
the middle cerebral artery we have in uh, purple here, or this temporal area. Middle cerebral artery is, I mean, irrigating a huge territory of the brain. Okay, and this is the posterior one, posterior uh, cerebral artery, posterior cerebral artery. Okay, so uh, the veins, mainly they have to do with the sinuses, right? They have to do with the sinuses, and we talked about this already. We are focused more, focusing more in what? In the cavernous sinus, and in this sigmoid sinus, right? Okay? But we have the superior sagittal sinus, we have the straight sinus, and we have the inferior anastomotic vein that is going to go together with the other, okay? And you don't need this at this point, okay? Clinical importance of the circle of wheelies and the rest of the arteries, arteries, blood supply, okay, of the brain, the strokes, and the aneurysm, the stroke that they are classified and this and that is not the time for, for this, but they are hemorrhagic or they are ischemic. The um, hemorrhagic strokes generally happens because you have a herniation of one of these arteries that is going to burst. And when this bursts, you have a lake of blood in your brain. Okay, it's a terrible thing. All of these, all of these lighter, little tiny green points are aneurysm. Okay, it's more frequently, I mean, it's frequently in the, um, you know, Willis circle, all these arteries that arise from the Willis circle. Okay, you can have them. Uh, in many places. What is the importance as well of the blood circulation of the brain? Arterial, venous, mar, malformation. Okay? Arterial, venous, malformation. It's just a general information. So, here we have the cranial nerves again. You know how to check them on. Up, oh, all of them. And... Uh, they are rising from where they're going to arise in the brain and the name and the classification uh, by its uh, purpose, okay? One, two, and eight, remember sensory, and the rest, they have different oculomotor, trochlear. Uh, we know that oculomotor is involved in the parasympathetic function as well. This is a real specimen with the location of the cranial nerve as well. I want you to notice that the optic nerve and the olfactory tract from olfactory nerve, they are um, attached to the forebrain, the anterior part of the brain. And the rest, you're going to find them in the brain stem, okay? Midbrain, the pons, and the medulla oblongata. Those are the modalities of all of this cranial nerve. And then we have 
the motor and somatic motor and visceral motor function of this cranial nerve, okay? So the one from where they exit the school, okay? Or they enter into the brain. That is the case of the sensory nerves, okay? Cranial nerve number one, cribiform plate of the moist bone, okay? The two, optic canal. The three, superior orbital fissure. The four, superior orbital fissure. The five, it, with, the, with the different divisions. We need to know the foramina and the middle cranial fossa. Superior orbital fissure, that is in the face, right? Foramen rotundum, foramen ovale for the, the third division, for the second division, and for the first division, that is the ophthalmic branch of the trigeminal nerve. Okay? The mandibular branch of the trigeminal nerve is in charge to innervate several muscles. And we can count the muscles of mastication. What are those? Those are the temporalis, the masseter, and the medium and lateral pterygoid muscles. Okay? And we have as well the mylohyoid. We have as well anterior digastricus, tensor tympani, tensor veli palatani, palatini muscles, and so. Uh, the sixth superior orbital fissure, somatic motor, lateral rectus, you know these. Okay, then we have the facial and, uh, you know, on, on top of all of these, I want you to notice this part over here, stapedius muscle. You see the stapedius? And we had a question in the practice test. Yes or no? What, what was the question? Beautiful. Yeah, this, this person was having a, a big problem. Okay? The, the soft notes, this person was hearing louder, without control is because the facial nerve resolved damage and the innervation of the stapedius was not working. Stapedius muscle is the one that control, okay? The, these soft sounds, okay? In the ear, of course. The spinal accessory is gonna leave the posterior Fossa, cranial fossa together with the jugular vein. Together with the jugular vein. The cranial nerve number 11. And the 12 is going to pass by the hypoglossal canal. Palatoglossus muscle is innervated by whom? Vamos. The 10, right? Okay, good. 
So this is a little bit of the, uh, you know, um, sympathetic and parasympathetic control of the face. We're going to talk about a little bit if we have time today in the next um, uh, lecture. And these are the, the rest, uh, cranial, cranial three, uh, the seven, um, the facial and the nine. So, um, what is this? Those are preganglionic parasympathetic cell body origin. And these are located in the first portion of the cervical spine. The first portion of the cervical spine. They are leaving this place and they're going to go. And for example, in the case of cranial nerve number three, they uh, Edinger Westphal nucleus, okay, is from where we're going to arise and the postganglionic parasympathetic cell body is going to be in the ciliary ganglion. What is the function of this? Constrict the pupil. Okay, and constrict the ciliary muscle. Okay, in this way we're gonna bulge the lens for near vision. And you know this, right, guys? Cranial nerve number seven, over there, innervating, this is superior salivatory muscle, and the postganglioni is the, the fat or the act is on the pterygopalatine ganglion and the submandibular ganglion and innervates the lacrimal gland, the nasal and palatal glands, and the submandibular and sublingual salivary glands. We are talking about parasympathetic. Okay? Then, what is going to be the result from here? If we have the, let's say, if the cranial nerve number seven, the parasympathetic innervation on these structures work a lot, what is going to happen? It's responsible for the secretion of saliva when we are hungry and smell food, good food, right? So parasympathetic, constrict the pupil, okay? Constrict the pupil, bulge the lens, increase the saliva in the mouth, okay? What happened in the lungs, who tell me? Sorry? Parasympathetic. Increase the secretion in the bronchi and produce bronchoconstriction. Okay? So, glossopharyngeal, go and innervate the parotid gland. Parasympathetic, uh, this is the parasympathetic, it's known as an otic ganglion, has nothing to do with the ear. Innervates the parotid gland from where we're going to have what? Saliva. And what is the dog for parotid gland? 
best tense in dots, right? That we're going to have the saliva in the mouth. Okay? And the vagus go everywhere. Everywhere. And then we have another division of parasympathetic down there. Okay? Sacrocolsigia division of parasympathetic innervation. But anyways, sympathetic is the opposite. Everything is the opposite. Fire and flight, all of these stories that you know. Okay? So guys, uh, let's go quickly on the other... Um, on the other PowerPoint, just in case we can go a little bit. You have a lot to study, okay? A lot to study. And whatever we're going to cover today is going to go. If we don't finish, I'm not going to ask you anything about that. Promise, okay? So, prominent features of the face. We talked about this before. Do you want to tell me anything? Oh. Okay, I'm, I'm here, guys, if you have a question or something, okay? Uh, observation, or if you want to share any, anything, okay? So, anterior aspect of the face, superciliary arch. This is an important landmark for you guys, because in the future, you're going to suture a lot, superciliary arches, for sure. It's one of the, you know why people break the skin a lot because it's a prominent bone fissure of the face what is the other one the nose what is the other one the chin the menton right the uh, angle of the mandible for example so uh here we have the superciliary arch the glabella over here okay the all the uh, the frontal bone of course the bones of the nose, right? And we have, this is this over here, the number four is the nation, is the, uh, it's another seizure that we have between, because we have a lot of seizure more than the one we study. So this one is the one that put together the frontal bone with the bones of the nose, okay? Then the supraorbital notch, supraorbital notch is number five over here. We have the arising of structures over here, and all the notch are in line. You see this? All the notch are in line. This one, the number 12, is the infraorbital foramen. Okay? Infraorbital foramen. And here we have in nine the mental foramen. Those are arising uh, areas for arising structures. Okay? So the zygomatic, this part is the zygomatic arch, the bony orbit of the eye, the superior edge and the inferior edge. And all the bone that compounds this, the zygomatic bone over here, that goes together with the um, para temporal bone. Okay. This is the body of the mandible, the zygomatic bone and the body of the mandible. And we have uh, what other, okay, the oral, 
uh, as a fissure is the oral region with the teeth. This, these parts are very important. Let's see, uh, I think we're good in, in this part. Oh, very important, the terion. And do me a favor, and in the, in the bones of the head, we need to add, in the terium, we need to add the greater wing of the sphenoid bone that I forgot to write this down there. I forgot that, sorry for that, okay? So the terium over here, okay? Uh, so the styloid process of the temporal bone, uh, this is the mandible um, rami, ramus, sorry. Uh, over here, we have the zygomatic arc again. Everything openly is known as a superior or not superior, the temporal fossa and under the zygomatic arc, we're gonna have the infratemporal fossa. We'll go there if we have time today. What are the main muscles of facial expression? Okay, remember that all of them are innervated by the cranial nerve number seven. The occipital frontalis muscle <laughs> is not a uh, a, a whole thing, you know that, right? We have the frontalis, and we have the occipital muscle over here. But in between, remember we studied the galea aponeurotica? Galea aponeurotica is putting them together, okay? Then we can move them at the same time. That's why the name of occipital frontalis. The actions, um, raise the, uh, the eyebrows, raise the eyebrows. We have some other muscles over there, but I don't want you to go, you have enough, believe me. Okay, we have more muscles over there working together and so, but go with this one, okay? Then uh, this occipital, occipital frontalis, when act from above, the frontal part is gonna raise the eyebrows, right? And it's gonna elevate the nose. You know, with this expression of, oh my God. And acting from below, draw the scalp forwards, like this. Okay, some people, they can move the ear, and so. And, uh, and of course, when we are very worried, no Botox is possible to uh, just cover this line, right? And with the uh, time, it's gonna be forever in the center. It's a make a wrinkle in your forehead, okay? So, um, the innervation, we know. Different branches of the cranial nerve number seven that innervates these areas that, and adopt the name of the area these branches of the cranial nerve number seven innervates, okay?
and the vascular supply is from the temporal, the ophthalmic, and posterior um, um, arteries, okay? Then let's go, this is the occipital frontalis, this is the frontal belly, the occipital belly is known here, okay? And then we have the orbicularis oculi, orbicularis ori here, right? Let me see the buccinator over here. Um, which one? I, um, I think we're good. Is what we have over there. Oh, very important the, for us to know about the masseter, right? The masseter muscle. Look at this. Look like a braid, right? Look at this. And uh, what else we have? Oh, this is the location of the parotid gland in front of the ear, covered by the parotid fascia over here. The platysma. Platysma is a very important muscle too. We're going to study this in the neck. But the platysma is this muscle that takes your mouth like in this way. It's gonna drag the mouth down. The risorius is gonna put the mouth like a clown up. Okay, because we're together with the levator, uh, la, uh, levator uh, oris or depressor oris, all of these muscles, but we are good, risorius. Buccinator is another muscle that we need to have in mind, right? So let's go, orbicularis ori together. It has a palpebral part, and has a lacrimal part, and has an orbital part. What is the function of this orbicularis oculi? Remember, it's this circumference surrounding the orbit of the eye, and uh, it's going to go and insert in the anterior, anterior temporal region, and the actions are that close the eye lies, right? And assist as well when you're crying for the flow of tears. The papyrus part, close the eyelid, okay? The lacrimal part, aid the drainage of the tears. The orbital part, close tightly the eyelids and protect the eyelids against the, whatever is happening, the wind is blowing against your eyes or something. So. You protect your eyes using the orbicularis oculi. Innervation, again, cranial nerve number seven. You cannot miss this, guys, okay? Vascular supply, arteries of the face, okay? And the arteries of the face mainly arise from the external carotid artery, facial artery, and all of these are branches, okay? Maxillary, ophthalmic arteries, all of these are branches of the uh, different arteries of mainly facial artery. Orbicularis ori is the first sphincter of the rest of the sphincters we have along the GI. It's the first one. And the last one is anal sphincter. Then we have esophageal sphincter, upper, the lower, then we have the pyloric sphincter, and blah, blah, blah. we're going to study this if we have time. So, um, 
Boxinator, smiling, keep the cheek uh, taut, and of course, uh, you're not gonna bite yourself when you're chewing, okay? And um, yeah, it's the muscle for, you know, blowing a trumpet, or I don't know, these instruments. So they, together, the buccinator, buccinator and orbicularis oris work with the tongue to keep the food, okay, in the mouth, to prepare the food, to move the food here and there, okay? So there is more um, over here, in, and frontally we have the orbicularis oris here, we have, again, the orbicularis oculi with the orbital part and the palpebral part. This is the frontal, frontal belly of the occipital frontalis. And here we have the risorius, the one that is going to pull up uh, the corner of the lips, the platysma. And we have over here the buccinator the branches of facial nerve innervating all of this muscle, okay? So, masticatory muscle, what are those? The masseter, the temporalis, the lateral pterygoid, and the medial pterygoid. The masseter is uh, the the muscle that is gonna is is you, you can feel it over here. Remember when we ask the patient to clench the teeth, is for that reason, and act together with the temporalis in the process of mastication. Okay, the vascular supply, masseteric branch of the maxillary artery. Okay, that is part of the superficial temporal, temporary artery. Innervation, what is that? The innervation of the masseter. number five, what division? What division? V3, <laughs> we talk about this just a few uh, ago, okay? So actions, of the temporalis is elevates the, man, the mandible, uh, close the mouth and approximate the teeth to, uh, you know, chew. And of course, together with the pterygoids, it's gonna uh, facilitate the grounding movement and I'm gonna, you just finish this muscle, masticatory muscle, and until here, you have enough for the next exam. Thank you so much. It's recorded until the masticatory moment.